Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus, that you're here this morning. Where two or three are, you are in the midst. We thank you, Lord, that you want to minister to us. Help us now, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to give what you want given. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just read a few verses from Psalm uh, oh, Psalm 34. And this is what it says. I will bless the Lord Amen. at all times. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. His praise. <laughs> shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast in the Lord. And it says, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I looked to him and was lightened, and their faces, and the poor man cried, and the Lord heareth and saved him out of all his troubles. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful. Well, it's a good thing to seek the Lord because it says, The face of the Lord is against them that do, but the righteous cry and he heareth them. We were speak- I was speaking last night about this wedding in Cana. <coughs> I don't know about this, but I've been in this wedding a lot, quite a few days lately. I don't know what it is, but uh, it's something about this. The word of God suddenly becomes very much alive to you. And when it becomes alive, it becomes spirit and life that feeds you, that strengthens you that heals you, that delivers you, and sets you free. And that's what we need to be hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. And it's this hearing problem we seem to got amongst God's people because, as Derek Prince used to say, you have to take away all the interference in your life and get alone with God Because God doesn't want you listening to somebody else and him at the same time. He wants all your attention. And this is the whole problem, isn't it? To get away, as Thomas Akemba said, with a book in the nook and cut everything else out. Because we are people that are privileged because we can hear what God is saying. And God wants you to hear what God is saying. Or as the Revelation says, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I read a few verses from this, um, John 2. And the third day there was a marriage in Cain of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. <clears throat> and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And they one they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, They have no wine. And Jesus said to a woman, What have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, 
do it. And you know, I suppose Mary had been now, had been, well, Jesus was now about 30 years old, and I think she'd seen some quite remarkable things with Jesus. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I got a feeling. She thought, if anybody can fix this problem, it's Jesus. And if anybody can fix your problem, it's Jesus. <laughs> this is the whole problem. This is the whole point, isn't it? But in this wedding, this, this is what Jesus then wanted to say, and he said to her, um, mine hour is not yet come. As I said to you at the end of the meeting last night, the, but that hour did come. And this is the point that we have to understand that when Jesus prayed in a great priestly prayer in John 17, and he said, I have finished the work. In other words, the work that God the Father gave him to do as a son of man, as a son of God on earth, to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the law, and to be, and to be that perfect man that Adam could have been, if he hadn't failed. So Christ is the last Adam. Wherever the first Adam failed, this Adam, Christ, did not fail. And that's why you can have perfect and utter trust in Jesus, because he never failed in his earthly walk. And when he, he stood in the garden and he said, is it possible for this cup to pass from me? He didn't. He went all the way and he finished that work. So Jesus finished two specific works as a minister under the, as a son of God, ministering under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his earthly walk, fulfilling everything. Now, it's always crossed my mind, did Father approve of this incident in the wedding? Well, I think he must have done. Because it says, and they were called to the feast. And in a way, we are called to the feast. <laughs> we are called to a feast, a feast of good things. But you see, the enemy has tricked God's people. And looking at the church today, you think they were in a fast and not a feast. <laughs> you think... You get the impression, look at some people and think, well, we'll do our hour of the day and we'll get out and do what we want to do. No, it should be the house of God where you're feasting. And it should be that where we meet with our Heavenly Father and feast with Him is what we need to be doing. But the problem you've got is, there's a, see, you need to feast fast before and feast in the presence. And I know this is, this is a problem for God's people. But they don't seem to get this. I, I've read an, an old sermon somewhere. I don't know where it is. Um, I don't know where I read it. And this is what this old preacher said. No feasting, no Christianity. Because if you're feasting, you're partaking of Christ. You need to be partaking of life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And in the sense here, he's revealing to us, he is the wine of the kingdom. 
There's something very deep and spiritual here in this. And this is what this old preacher said, the ultimate effect produced by the true gospel, the real gospel, and not another gospel, is a spirit of rejoicing. There's got to be joy in God's house. We are commanded to rejoice, and again I say rejoice, no matter what you feel like, this is what we just read in Psalm, bless the Lord, O my soul. Your soul will feel all sorts of things, and you look at somebody and think, oh, you know, and all these thoughts come to your mind about this, that, and the other. But no, you've got to rejoice. You've got to bless the Lord. And the other thing this old preacher said, he said, to whom does this effect come? To those who are fasted. And then he quotes from Matthew 5, and he says, blessed are they that mourn or fast for they shall be comforted. When you're in need, you run to the throne. You run and you get on your face and you say, Lord, like David did in all his Psalms when Saul was chasing him from place to place and the enemy comes against you or people come against you, you go to your father and you fast from them. You don't put your words into it. You go to your heavenly father and he gives you a word And this is the word, whatsoever he says to you, do it. (laughs) And this this is the thing. It doesn't seem, it's not reason, it's word of God and it's faith. You see, this is what we're up against. You know, when Moses stood before the Red Sea and the Egyptian army behind him and the Red Sea in front of him and he, he cried unto the Lord, And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? In other words, he gave Moses an answer what to do about the situation he was in. And that's what happens to us. There's something in your hand. And you've got to use it. You've been given a talent, or two talents, or five talents. But you've got to use it. You mustn't be like the one talent people, person that buries it. And we mustn't bury our talent. You've got something. All of us have got different ability. Some of us have got more ability than other people. I've got a certain amount. I know that Alan's got more ability than I have. But I've got to use what I've got, haven't I? You've got to use what you've got. Because if you don't, you bury it and nothing happens. And this is the whole problem, isn't it? This, This is what we're up against. To those who are fasted, Blessed are they shall be comforted, and this is what he said, it is only to those who have fasted that the command comes to attend the feast. Now, there's a big, that's a big statement there. You want to know why you're not enjoying the presence of God? It may be because you haven't fasted about certain things and got on your face before God and said, what do I do about this? And God will speak to you. I mean, remember when Elijah was running from uh, Jezebel? You know, she wanted to cut his head off for slaying all those prophets. But this is what he told. when, When Elijah went before him, he told him what to do. He said, you go and find a man who's plowing in a field. And he's he's a farmer, and his name is Elisha. And you go to this man, and you say to him, 
God has sent me to anoint you to be prophet. What did Elisha say? Not me. No, he burnt all his ox. He got, he, he got his oxen. He, he, he sacrificed them. He, he burnt all the implements. And he sacrificed it under the Lord. And what happened to Elisha? He got rid of them. See, God has always got an answer to get rid of what is against you, but you need a word from God. So whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Isn't it? And this is the, this is the challenge we're in. We're in, a, we're in a situation in our life, I and I, we've got some challenges. You know, we haven't got it all together like some of the people here, you know. <laughs> but we're, we're standing in grace. We, do, we don't know all the answers. But, we, you know, and the enemy wants to discourage you and discourage me. But there's an answer. You do what Jesus says. Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. <laughs> And you know, this, this, this requires faith because I'd like to be come to the tender feast. But as the old preacher said, there's always conditions to God's promises. There are. You have to do your part. It's God that worketh in you, both to will, but it's, you have to work it out. <laughs> Elijah had to work it out. He had to find this man. He had to find him. And Elisha had enough sense, and he followed him for 13 years and carried his bag and, and bought his hamburgers and, you know, and all this and run around and put him up and carried his bag for 13 years. Well, some people don't want to do that, do they? They want an instant, miraculous ministry. Oh, no. It's, it comes through waiting on God. <laughs> and then suddenly... And you know, I've spoken on this before about Elijah and Elijah. And you have to do what God tells you to do. And I was thinking, Lord, help me to do what he wants me to do. So God the Father has commanded you to the feast. And he's commanded you to rejoice. Haven't you? I've got to rejoice in all things. And this is, this is what, what we've got to do. And he said, and what will happen, the past shall be forgotten. Now, that's a big thing. Some people, we got things in our past, oh dear. And the enemy wants to keep bringing it up. <laughs> and you know, we got these people in the church who talk about, you know, dealing with your past. And don't you think you should analyze this and look at this and uncover this? Now, look here now. The gospel is quite clear about this. <laughs> when you go to Jesus <laughs> and you believe what Jesus has done, oh, yeah, he was crucified. God, Davis, thank God he was crucified. I died. And I've been buried. And I've been raised a completely new person. I haven't got a past. I've been brand new. You're brand new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. God has created you anew in Christ. You're joined to Christ. And this is the wonder of it. And I'm coming to this. And this is what hit me about this feast, which I'll come to in a minute. 
but I can't come there till they get there. <laughs> oh, dear me. So the present joy is given you. If you can't forget the past, you can't get the joy now because it keeps sinking you. It keeps putting you down. Look, we've all made mistakes. I would not like my past put on the record, on the video. I would not want it. Thank God it went to the cross and it got buried. <laughs> and it had been raised a new person. No, you've got to understand it, and you've now got to walk in that truth. Or as Paul says in Romans 6, you've got to reckon yourself to be dead. You've got to understand, yes, but you've got a, a new future in God. So if you can deal with it and walk by faith, so what, what you do, you keep looking, as James says, into this perfect law of liberty. And you keep looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. And as you look at it, you realize who you are. So the present joy will be given, and we are commanded to rejoice. We are commanded to rejoice. See, there is a fast that God has given us. And this is in Isaiah 58. Excuse me. And this is what Isaiah, the prophet, was prophesying of what Christ would do. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, to break and to break every yoke. Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry? Do you bring the poor and you see the naked and you cover him? And then he says, if you do this, then shall your light break forth as the morning. And what? Your health shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your reward, and then shalt thou call, and the Lord will answer. Thou shalt cry, and he will say, Here I am. And if you would take away the midst of the, the yoke, yes, the yoke, and the putting forth of the finger. There's some people are very good at this, putting forth of the finger. Look at him. No, 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 look at Jesus. <laughs> As Henry used to say, if you've got nothing good to say about them, don't say it. <laughs> and speaking vanity. Well, we won't get into that. And if you draw your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, the Lord shall guide you continually, satisfy your soul in drought, and make your fat, your bones, <laughs> you be like a water garden, a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And you will build the whole waste places, raise up the generation, foundations you be called the repair of the breach, the store of the past to dwell in. Well, that's what the anointing does, isn't it? You know, when we consider that we have to, as that old preacher said, as we said last night, this, this 
feast, this wedding feast in uh, Cana was a big event. Not like today is between two families. It was a big social event. A lot of food, a lot of drink, a lot of consumption. But the point about it is that you might think that you've had all you can have off Jesus' table, but I can assure you it'll never run out. <laughs> There's no shortage in God the Father's larders. <laughs> I am absolutely amazed. As I come to the Word of God, there's one level after another level and one seam after another seam and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you think, Lord, where's it going to end? And the Lord said, it never will end. <laughs> it's bottomless. As I always say to you about the colored man on the boat on the water and he said, look at all that water. And the other black man said, but that is only the top of it. It's vast. <laughs> we have got a, a vast supply. <laughs> Look, Jesus could make 180 gallons of wine like that. <laughs> that takes some doing. <laughs> isn't it? But there's a deeper message here, isn't there? You see, the problem we've got is, what stops us rejoicing sometimes is this, we don't want to acknowledge what is in our heart sometimes. You know, I think probably we live in an age that is very self-centered. Isn't it? It's very self-centered. It's all about me, myself, and I. But the Christian life is all about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> But you've got to make a choice. <laughs> you see, when you get self-centered, all sorts of things happen, and you damage people around you, or you upset people around you. You might not do anything particularly immoral, but <laughs> you, 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 you encroach upon them. It's not like you're willing to sort of agree on things and believe on things. And, if you, and you know, what we've got to learn to do is I'm not perfect. My brother is not perfect. We're all being changed. We're all in a process of being changed. And I'm growing. You know, toddlers don't know much, do they? And toddlers in the church don't. You can get toddlers in the church, mind, and they're very selfish. That's my toy. That is my toy. Or that is my ministry, or whatever. You know, it's, you know, we have got to learn to realize we're part of a family of God, and God, Christ is the head, and we're supposed to cooperate with one another and love one another. I had a terrific trial three months ago. I won't tell you what it was, but I, Irene said to me, she looked at me one day and she said to me, Stop it. <laughs> and you know <laughs> thank God for Irians I say <laughs> do you know we can get so absorbed with what we're thinking of ourselves and what we think about that and we're right and this person is wrong 
but is that true? Because <laughs> when you get self-centered, it's like you take your glasses off and you don't see things properly. It's like you're looking at something, but you're not looking at it because you're looking at it from your point of view instead of God's point of view. <laughs> and you know, the amazing thing is that, um, I mean, this would have caused, if I had continued thinking like this, that self-centeredness would have caused damage. It would have, I'm telling you, it would have caused damage. So thank God for Ayn when she said, stop it! You know, and, and you need somebody sometimes to... And she said, what is the matter with you? You're walking around as though you, you, you've got this coffee face. What is wrong with you? You see, we need to get cleansed. We need to get washed. <laughs> we need to get purified. Well, that's what all the jars are about. That's what all the jars are about. It, you know, it's filled with water, the washing of the water of the word. It washes your mind. It renews your mind. You begin to think straight. I mean, I think Miriam, remember Miriam got very jealous of Moses, remember? That was self-centeredness, wasn't it? I mean, God had called Moses. And, and what did God do to her? He put leprosy on her for a while, didn't he? You know, you, you can get into trouble with God when you start walking in pride and self-centeredness. You need to get washed with the word. You need to get cleansed by the blood. <laughs> you know, this is, this is our test in life, isn't it? We're, we're walking in a world that's talking to us, but somehow we've got to shut it out and listen to what God is saying and say, whatever he says to me, I'm going to do that. Not what the world says. And this is, this, is, this is the test we're in, you know. And I was thinking, Lord, help us. And you know, we've got to fill our vessel with the word of God. You've got to fill it. Yeah. Get it in there. Just read the whole chapter. Keep reading it. Get books that help you to understand the word of God. You're not going to understand the word of God without teachers. And God has put some wonderful teachers. Some of the best teachers I've had lived centuries ago. Centuries ago. Manton, Chadwick, you know, these men that, uh, um, uh, whatever their names are, <laughs> Gurnell, all these people, more modern writers. If it's R.T. Kendall, read R.T., you know, read somebody that will put something into your life that sorts your mind out. You know, as Joyce Meyer said, the battleground is your mind. And it is. It's in your soul. As we said before, you've got a body and a soul and a spirit. And if he can attack you in the mind and you can listen to his nonsense and you can start thinking wrong things, as I did. And I tell you what, what a relief it is when somebody gives you a bit of a jolt, you know wakes you up to what you're thinking and your thinking is not right. And then you can understand what God is saying to you. And I began to get right again. I, I, do you know, I, think, I just thank God and I'm thinking, this wedding feast, and of course it's on the third day. Everything happens on the third day. <laughs> Doesn't it? 
the third day <laughs> is a significant day, <laughs> isn't it? You know what I mean. Yeah, everything happened on the third day. <laughs> My goodness. And Jesus is, at the, is in the place at the right time. And they pour it out to the feast. And you know, as I was thinking about this, and thinking about there, there comes in your life a resurrection. There comes like a new day. Because you suddenly see something you didn't see before. And God wants you to see what he wants to see. There's a pouring out of the Holy Ghost. See, every time Jesus chooses an incident in the Gospels, like a wedding, it's signifying you that as you read it, it's helping you to see Jesus, if I could say it like this, better. He's, he's, in other words, Jesus is becoming bigger. He's influencing your life in a greater way so that you believe in his power because there is all power in the name of Jesus. But you've got to believe it. And as we said, you've got to, whatever he says to you, you've got to do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you were at that feast now and you were... And these servants now, and, and Mary said, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. And they knew, the servants knew they were running out of wine. And you think, well, they didn't question what Jesus did. They just filled the water pots. You think, we want wine, we don't want water, and we don't want it out of pots that clean people's feet and hands. What, what is it all about? But you see, it's whatever he says to you, do it. You know, when the Lord tells us to rejoice at all times, and bless the Lord at all times, your soul says, why should I? Look at this, and look at this. I've got no... But you're rejoicing in a person. And you're rejoicing in a victory that he's won for you. And you're rejoicing in what he can provide for you. Isn't it? You're rejoicing in the provision he can give you. He, came, he made 180 gallons of wine. Well, I don't know whether it was in the jar, but as I said last night, when it got poured out, it was wine. There's a debate whether it was wine in the jars, but that's not the point. And the point is, you will have to pour it out. And when the Lord tells you to do it, you're going to have to do it, because you won't get the wine. You won't get the rejoicing. You won't get the peace. And you won't get that blessing in your life that you need until you do it. And as the Lord said to me, keep doing it. Be a doer of the word, James says, and not a hearer only. You know, this, this, is, this is what it is, isn't it? And you see Jesus better. And it also shows us how, and this is important, Jesus sees me and you. It's how we respond. As we said about the Syrophoenician woman, as Martin Luther said, how was it a Syrophoenician woman could believe the gospel in a way, before even the disciples could believe the gospel, because of response. She said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he is Lord of my situation and your situation. But we have to humble ourselves. As David Pawson said, the great problem for the church is that when we're confronted with the whatsoever he says unto you, do it, we say, oh, I don't want to do that. 
and we're too proud to humble ourselves, he says, and we miss it completely. And it's true. And the Lord said to me, you have to humble yourselves. If Jesus is our bridegroom, then if I give myself to Jesus in faith, it means he must really delight in me. And this is the message of this wedding. Jesus is your bridegroom. You know, some of us, me, I've had a job uh, with myself, as I said before. I, me, myself, and I, I've had problems. I don't know, I've had a lot of problems with myself. I don't know about anybody else's problems. I've had a lot of problems with myself. And the problem is that sometimes you don't think of yourself as you ought to think of yourself in Christ. You see, this is the problem. When we look at ourselves as ourselves, instead of seeing us as Jesus, you see, this is, what, this is the point, isn't it? If we can see Jesus how he sees us, then if I give myself to Jesus in faith, it means he does really delight in me. And this is what I believe. Every time God chooses to give an image of himself, he is saying something about us. Do you know what the bride looks like to the bridegroom? You know, some of you here, I don't know whether, when Alan went up the aisle with, uh, with Shirley, you must have thought, wow. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, Paul went up and he was waiting for Julia to come up and he said, wow. <laughs> you know, there's this excitement. But have you got any excitement about Jesus? Have I? Do we really feel loved? <laughs> Do we really feel accepted? You know, some people are suffering with a lack of self-esteem but if you could understand that Jesus is your bridegroom and he loves you and he delights in you, maybe you could think differently. I think we could. I think we could think differently. And she wears the most beautiful garments and when he lays her eyes on her, he is absolutely delighted in her and he wants to give her the world. But well, you know, Jesus said the meek <laughs> shall inherit <laughs> the earth. And the fact of the matter is, it doesn't really matter what you're going through, but if you can understand who you are and who Jesus is, yes, he's the captain, the Lord of hosts. Yes, he's got all power. But the miracle here is that he is to the church and the individual your bridegroom. He's your lover. The devil tells you he doesn't, but he does. And the devil will tell you you can get it all out there, but he doesn't. You get it in Father's house. You see, it's, it's, it's learning, as we heard last night. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God dwells in you. And this is the realization that's going to come to us all. And the enemy wants to blot that out. The world system wants you to say, oh no, you can't have it in all this, but it's in you. How dare Jesus 
use such a scene at a wedding like this, evoking such powerful experience? Could it be in his own like that, that he delights in you like that? Yes, Jesus does delight in you. Isn't it wonderful? I think you've got, we've got to get hold of this. I think we've got to understand how Jesus loves us. We've got to understand that there's more to this gospel than just being saved and left. Jesus saves you and keeps you and provides for you and he's given you a great future. It's an inadequate view of the gospel that is stinting the growth of God's people. They can't see what they have in God's house because they won't get into the presence in God, in other words, in God's house like that, where you can see the provision. As I said to you, it's almost like the loaf is on the table, but they're not getting their feet under the table and eating the loaf. When the old Syrophoenician woman got the crumbs and got what she wanted. And this is, the, this is what we've got to grasp, isn't it? The difference your life could be if you could live moment by moment experiencing that awareness of his love for you, is it possible to know Jesus as your bridegroom? Is it possible? I think it is. Do you know, it changed your life completely. If you could feel loved. If you could feel accepted. And you don't take all this rejection that you might have had from this one and that one and the other. But there's somebody that loves you. There's somebody that really loves you and has proved it by what he's done. And not only what he's done, but he can do for you now because he ever lives to make intercession for you because he sits at the right hand of the Father waiting for you to come. Yes. He's waiting for you to come. And I tell you what, I... You know, I'm coming to see that God has been very, very patient with me. I am. I think, oh Lord, how merciful you are. But you see, this is the good thing about God. Even when we got things that we... God sees the heart. See, God sees the heart. God does not look on the outward appearance. You might be a very attractive, beautiful person, but what's your heart like? You see, and this is what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. The Sermon on the Mount's all about the character and the attributes of Christ. And you have to understand that you've got to attend to your life. It's, yes, it's God that works in you, but you've got to work it out. You've got to do this, your spiritual service. And this is, and this is the point, isn't it? It says, experiencing the awareness of his love. Is it possible? But look at the future. Look at the Jesus in the midst of this wedding feast. Think about it. Jesus in this wedding feast. There's everybody feasting. The joy. The drinking of wine. But here's the point. Jesus was in a sense tasting the bitterness of death, because he said, "Mine hour is not yet come." 
and he knew it was coming. That's what Jesus is like. He's here to provide for you everything you have because he was willing to pay the price, the ransom, to provide for you what you need. There isn't anybody else who's done that. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. But Jesus was, in a sense, tasting the bitterness of death that lay before him. And we don't have to. Jesus was amongst that bridal joy and was drinking the coming sorrow that so today you and I, who believe in him, can sit in the midst of this world's sorrow and drink, and drink for the coming joy, the Lamb's party. Hallelujah. The marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. And we've got to get ready. We used to sing that song a lot in the early days. I'm getting ready in the night. He's coming, he's coming, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. See, every time we participate in the Lord's Supper by faith, believe it or not, you can have a foretaste of this, what's coming. You can have a foretaste. You know what the psalmist said? Taste and see. It's not until you taste that you see. You have to taste to see. But if you can taste, you begin to see who Jesus is. Isn't it wonderful? But you've got to get your feet under the table. <laughs> you've got to taste this. He's tasted the bitterness to give us the joy. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he glorious? Hallelujah. Yes, the incredible feast. Even now, in the midst of your trial and sorrow, you can drink the coming joy. Yes, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is. That's your strength. As that old preacher said, the the effect of the gospel in truth when it comes, is rejoicing and joy. Isn't it? And that's what, and if you haven't got it, you can have it. (laughs) You can have it. You can get hold of this. (laughs) Because Peter said, it's joy, what? Unspeakable. And it's what? Full of glory. Hallelujah. You can have it. It's available. But will you go for it? Will you go for it? You know, this is, this is the challenge that comes to us all. Hallelujah. We can drink. There is only one love. There is only one feast. And there's only one thing that can really give your heart all that it needs. And they all await you if you know This, you can face anything. 
It's like Mary, isn't it, with Jesus and Martha? It's the one thing. Isn't it? It's the one thing you need. See, Jesus is the creator. Jesus owns everything. He's he's purchased everything. And he is the coming king. He's coming. He's coming. And we've got to be, as, the, as the Matthew 24 and 25 says, you think about how many parables Jesus talks in the Gospels about the kingdom, about the feast. How many times? You can look it up. How many times does he keep talking about it? He keeps talking about these things, doesn't he? And I'm coming to see that it requires the anointing. It requires the food and the wine of the kingdom to actually strengthen you and feed you. You know, as David Green used to say, all food and it dry up. What does he say? Um, all what? Word only and you dry up. All spirit, you blow up. But if you get both, you grow up. <laughs> We've got to have the bread and the wine. I said to you last night, who ever thought of having communion with no wine? It's time we had the wine in the church. You know, the Church of England at the moment, they've got a movement called New Wine. They, they begin to get it. <laughs> They're realizing what they need is the wine. And I was telling a few of you here, I went to my old village where I used to live in Gloucestershire. And there's a new wine church there, and I can't believe the difference in this church. <laughs> when I lived in that village, you could feel there was something happening. The wine was flowing. Yeah. You know, where there's wine flowing, there's rejoicing. There's happiness. And there is Holy Ghost wine. And where there's Holy Ghost wine, there's dancing. The devil did not invent dancing. God invented dancing. We are supposed to dance before the Lord like David did with all his might. Yeah. We're supposed, you know, if I had better legs, I'd dance better because I'm at my age, but I can't do like, uh, like David can, you know, when he gets at the front and he does this business. I wish I could. <laughs> I'd, I'd fall over, but never mind. I, I'll do my jig. <laughs> and you can do your jig. <laughs> and you know, it's time that we realized when we come to the house of God, but this is the secret. You've got to fast to have a feast. And this is it. You know, they couldn't have had that feast, that wedding feast, with all the, without the preparation, could they? How much food do you need for seven days? I mean, come on. How much wine do you need for seven days? You know, all this business, trampling on the grapes. It was no, you know, not like today distilleries. They had to trample it all, come out the other end and put it in, in what, these skins, was it? Uh, skins and all this business. And you might, it was a big job. There's a preparation. That's fasting. See, if you come together, all prepared, and bring your big lunchbox with you, 
and your bottle of wine, <laughs> when, you get to the, when you get to the house of God and you all start bringing your lunch boxes out and open your bottles of wine, you're going to have a great time. You're going to start rejoicing and you're going to start jumping and you're going to start dancing. No, the devil didn't invent dancing. The Lord Miriam danced. No. The Feast of Tabernacles, they danced. They did, seven days. They put these booths up and they got all the, at the ingathering of the harvest, the end of the harvest, and got all the stuff and they ate and they drank and they rejoiced. Well, you're supposed to rejoice. You're supposed to worship God in, with joy and happiness and dancing. Isn't it wonderful? Do you know, God wants to release in you a new day so it's because you'll start eating and drinking and the more you eat and drink, the bigger you'll get. <laughs> you'll become a big man, of God, woman of God. <laughs> and your larder will get bigger. And, and your wine cellar will get bigger. <laughs> Everything will start to expand. And they say, here he comes, the man with all the supplies. Well, Jesus is the supplier. Jesus is, we heard, he's the master of ceremonies. He, he took over that feast. <laughs> and he can take over my life. And I can enjoy a feast. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that in this word, there's oil and wine and corn? Are you going to cross over Jordan and, cro- and get into Canaan's land and start rejoicing <laughs> and start praising God and stay Wake up in the morning and don't think about all your worries and your woes and all this has happened to me. You see, if you can get the past forgotten, you can have, it, you can have the present joy. Isn't that right? Look, every one of us, as the old priest used to say, we've got our miseries, but we've got our mercies. We. And we can forget them and hand them over to the Lord and the Lord will give us a wonderful Blessing. Well, this is what it says in Revelation 19, or 20, is it? What, what is this? Revelation. Uh, Revelation 19, yes, it says in 9, 7. Let us be what? Glad and rejoice. Why? What does that do? It gives honor. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and a wife has made herself ready. And to her will be granted she be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen, fine linen is what? The righteousness of the saints. And he says to me, Right, blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto thee, These are the true sayings. Do you know people today, when they come to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is a wonderful book, but they're getting bogged down in trying to understand every little detail. Who's the beast? Who, you know, and where's the mark of the beast? And, and who's the Antichrist? And uh, are we going through the tribulation or aren't we going through the tribulation? Or um, uh, when is the rapture? Uh, or is there a rapture? Or, uh, you know, and all these questions and all these books. And you read them and you come out more confused than when you started. You know, the whole thing is like a maze. 
You know, you get in there and you think, well, where am I going? You're not supposed to go there. The revelation is a revelation of Jesus. And the culmination of this revelation is what we just read. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And all this business, you know, they're going to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and, and Jesus is going to come down there and they're scratching away and getting all the pottery up and all the rest of it. And then, you know, and all these architects. And, no, no, my revelation tells me there's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a city four square coming. And that's where the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be. I don't know the only answers to the revelation, but I know it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. I know it's a revelation to me that in the end, we win. <laughs> and it's a revelation saying to me, as it says in the three messages of the seven churches, I'm looking for overcomers. Are you an overcomer? God wants me to be an overcomer. <laughs> God wants every one of us to be an overcomer. Get rid of self-centeredness and get Christ-centered. No. And everything will be fine. Because if you can do that and keep looking at Jesus and keep on and keep walking by faith and keep your armor on, don't take your armor off, and keep the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith, my, you're more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You know, when David faced Goliath, did he think about all those brothers that didn't like him? And how he was ostracized and wasn't put in the feast to start with? Was he thinking about, no, 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 no. He was thinking about his covenant with God. And we've got to think about who we have. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Don't think about what people think about you. Think about what Jesus thinks about you. He's your bridegroom. You're the bride. And he loves you. And you're accepted in Jesus. Can you love Jesus this morning? Can we love him? Can we love him? Let's raise our hands and say, I love you, Jesus. I love you. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for completing that work to love me. To tell me that you love me so much that you love me as a bridegroom loves his bride. He wants to array you with fine linen. He wants to give you his righteousness. He wants to give you the garments of salvation. He wants to give you those jewels, those gifts. He wants to bless you. And you're coming out and you're going in. You say, I will bless the Lord, at all times, hallelujah, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We pray that there will be an influx of the Holy Spirit, that you will warm the hearts. Warm the hearts. You know, we used to sing a song, Awaken my heart. Awaken my heart to love and to adore you. Thank you, Lord. Awaken your people to understand that they are loved, that they're accepted in the beloved, that we can say what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we 
should be called the children of God. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your presence that's been here in these meetings. We thank you for the anointing. We thank you for this anointing that flows. May it flow down the head of your people. That when you anointed David, it flowed down his head and down his garments. May that anointing flow over us, Lord, and heal us. That we will never say, I'm not loved. You are loved. You are accepted. Christ is your bridegroom. And you are his bride. Keep responding to Jesus. Keep saying, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Jesus, that you move upon hearts and melt that hardness. Melt that hardness, Lord. Where there's been hardness, may the ground, the fallow ground, be broken up with the rain of heaven and the anointing of your Spirit, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. We praise you.